0: No incriminating evidence
1: came out against you. Don't no uh, worry. Yeah, turn the camera inward. I turned the yeah. camera on after uh, after you stopped talking. So there, you're safe. I, I was not exonerated yet. Dalton I, will be incriminated in everything.
0: Yet I w- no indictments will follow.
1: Luckily, over the last seven years, only Dalton will be incriminated because of recordings of the Good Trash Genre cast. The rest of us stayed clean off air. Much like the Mueller report. <laughs> <laughs> oh. oh. <laughs> I was thinking about this the other day.
2: It's nice that there's so much. Uh, just tape of me on the internet, so when the uh, the next stage of uh, evolution becomes AIs, hopefully they'll uh, build something resembling me. No, it's nice to know there'll be a piece of me left after uh, after we get supplanted by the uh, by the robots. That's nice.
1: Yeah, that's what we want. Oh God, I'm just thinking AI about... Dalton.
2: Mm, I don't know AI Arthur. It's uh, got a real. Uh... I'm picturing a uh, Gertie from uh... a. <laughs> From Moon minus all the (laughs) Kevin Spacey baggage, (laughs) just a just a really friendly emoji screen and a soothing
1: dulcet voice. Uh, Speaking of Kevin Spacey and and problematic um, figures, yeah, yeah. let's talk about. I was gonna talk about Confidential because man, that's a fun movie. I'm so glad you watched it. I'm so happy I watched it. Finally, I told Dustin before we started recording that I almost watched the two Jakes. Oh, the sequel, yeah, because it was streaming as well. Uh, it's always streaming. Yeah, uh, but once I realized it's two and a half hours almost, and it's probably just an okay movie at best, I was like, "I'm okay."
2: Yeah, Wikipedia exists so you don't have to watch bad yeah. sequels.
1: So I, I watched L.A. Confidential instead, and I'm happy I did because it's a good movie and one I think I liked better. We're in gonna in have talk ways. We're so. gonna have to talk about it on the show at some point. Yeah, I think so. So anyway, we're, we're, that's not what
0: we're doing today. Hello, everybody, and welcome again to the Good Trash Honor Cast. I'm back. Hi. Hey, how you doing? You guys are nice to let me, like, dink around on my phone for a second.
2: No, you're good. We were just getting the, the cold open ready, bud. So, uh, yeah, we
0: opened coldly to talk about a film you'll never discuss in Film Studies course, but it's not that because it is a Patreon pick week this week. Keith Lane Smith has selected for us to look at the film Chinatown.
1: Which definitely will come up in Film Studies of some degree. Either uh, uh, Maybe structure... not anymore. <laughs> Certainly. I, I bet you it still comes up in a screenwriting class. You know, class.
0: I have been, well, maybe in a screenwriting class. It's still going to come up. Because it's never come up in any course. I've taken so far
1: I would assume it would come up in a noir class If there was a full mm, A full out noir class which I've not taken so far. I imagine that's the place But I, I bet it would come up in a screenwriting class deal. I'm probably going to make the
2: case this week That uh, we can stop studying it at this point
1: Uh yeah Please stop watching this movie. But doing uh, well, all that work off air
2: for for those of you uh, looking at our programming schedule and thinking, well, that's a weird call following up this uh, marathon of uh, female directed films with a movie directed by a rapist. Uh, mm-hmm. Well, when you give us money, uh, we'll, we'll watch the movies you tell us we should watch. And Keith and Smith issued a, I think, an interesting challenge. He no. said, "Take the rubber, let it meet the road. Take all this." feminist theory you've been talking over the course of these movies directed by women and apply it to an actively problematic film and filmmaker. I, I think it's actually kind of an inspired
0: pick in that sense. Yeah, you know, I mean, I despite the fact that it's Polanski and Polanski's got problems and all that. And we'll get more into that here in just a few moments. But uh, yeah, that's, I think it's an interesting thing. Now, to warn you, dear listener, if you're tuning in for the first time, this is not a review show. It's an analysis show. And so we're going to spoil the end of this movie. Faye Dunaway dies. Um, the end. Um, and so- a lot
2: stuff happens before that though
0: um but yeah, yeah. She, she ends up dying um also um john houston is a rapist gross guy
2: yeah i want to go ahead and go to bat for uh for keith real quick uh just to let the listeners know who anybody who doesn't know our our, our sweet sweet donor uh keith wanted us to watch a jack nicholson movie yeah mm-hmm. uh, to be clear i don't think he has uh, much love for polanski i just no. i think he saw the interesting programming potential for this and said, hey, here's a Jack Nicholson movie you guys should really yeah. wrestle with.
0: And, and you know, to take full responsibility, I teed him up for it. I said, hey, this is what we're doing. So, I mean, if you're picking, you know, these various Jack Nicholson movies, there's a way in which um, Chinatown is very interesting. And we talked back and forth. He's like, yeah, I think let's do that. So, I mean, you know, it, it, it's not unthought
2: of. That so, way. Uh,
1: Puppet Master over here is pulling the strings the whole time. I, yeah, I, I did not say that.
2: I, I'm going to go ahead and also give Dustin the benefit of the doubt and say... Keith and probably said, I was thinking about Chinatown, and you said, that's not a bad idea.
0: It's not? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Precisely that. So uh, there you go, dear listener. That's what's happening. I'm still Dustin. I'm still Arthur. I am still Dalton. And we're talking about this movie. Um, Let's do our thumbs-up, thumbs-down reviews as a – well, let's do a synopsis first, okay. and then
1: we'll, then we'll review it. All right. So Chinatown is set in 1937. Los Angeles private investigator Jake J.J. Gittis specializes in cheating spouse cases. His current target is Hollis Mulray, high-profile chief engineer for the Los Angeles Department of Water and Power, whose wife suspects him of infidelity. In following Mulray, Giddis witnesses, uh, uh, witnesses some usual business dealings, such as public meeting for construction of a new dam to create additional water supply for L.A., as fresh water is vital to the growing community during the chronic drought. Mulray opposes the dam. Eventually, Giddis sees Mulray meeting with an unknown young woman who isn't his wife. Dun-dun-dun. Once news of the supposed tryst between Mulray and this woman hits the media, additional information comes to light that makes Giddis believe that Mulray is being framed for something and that he himself is being set up. That information that comes to light is that the woman who hired him was, in fact, not Mulray's wife.
2: Dun-dun-dun-dun. Um,
1: in his investigation of the issue behind Mulray's framing and his own setup, Giddis is assisted by Mulray's real wife, Evelyn, played by Faye Dunaway. Hello, I will be playing the role of the femme in this film. And then I'll die. But he thinks she isn't being forthright with him. Hmm, I wonder why. The further he gets into the investigation, the more secrets he uncovers about the Mulray's professional and personal dealings. Sometimes by actively assaulting a woman. Including Mulray's former business partnership with Evelyn's father, Noah Cross, played by the aforementioned John Houston. The identity of the unknown woman may be the key to uncovering the whole story. He's a statutory rapist. And now you know the rest of the story.
2: I think if it's your daughter, that just makes you a regular rapist. Oh, uh, yeah, I guess so, yeah. Yeah, I, I think uh, qualifiers like statutory kind of exit the equation. That's fair. Um, Polanski's a statutory rapist, so there oh. you go. And also maybe just a regular rapist, it turns out. We, uh, we were talking about this off air, about you know when Chinatown came out. And again, I, we don't... Content warning, I guess. We probably should have hit that up at the top of the Uh, show. Trigger warning. Rape, rape, rape. Sorry, guys. Uh, We're going to talk a lot about rape this episode uh, because it's a key plot point in this film. And it's a key Key plot point in the life of Roman Plansky. Yeah. Yeah. So we can't not talk about it as much as it's not fun
0: to. We're going to take a brave stance. We're against it.
1: Yeah, as a rule. Yes. So, uh, yeah, that's that's Chinatown, Jake. That is indeed Chinatown. Forget it, Jake. It's Chinatown. Um, Let's forget the movie. It's It's Chinatown. Chinatown.
2: I'm sorry you both said a joke at the same time and I didn't know which one to listen to. Uh it's uh
1: it's who it's who framed Roger Rabbit. Is it, is really what this is. It very much is it who framed Roger Rabbit. It absolutely
0: is who framed Roger
1: Rabbit. Uh, uh in in so many I mean <laughs> down to the plot. Yes. yes. Um so uh yeah, uh so now it's time for those thumbs up thumbs down reviews. Dalton, tell us about Chinatown. Well, Arthur, I can see why you you said it might still make its way
2: into a screenwriting class. Uh this film is m- beloved for its screenplay and i can see why it's a good screenplay there are a lot of goddamn plot threads in this movie there's so many and the fact that our, our screenwriter is able to weave all of these seemingly unrelated characters and plots together to make sure that every single principal player in this story is in the same place at the same time at the end of this film and it doesn't feel like a coincidence it's good screenwriting it is really impressive I'll tell you what's not great screenwriting, though, is a lot of other things that happen in this movie. Uh, and again, it's not even the craft. It's just questionable. And it's, it's weird to have a film that never feels like it's taking a stance on so many of the things that are happening in this film. It just it, it never seems to really comment on much uh, other than the, the ways in which power is insidious and hard to define and hard to stop. It doesn't really seem to have much of an opinion about anything other than that, which is insane for a movie that features plot points like uh, an evil uh, power magnate who uh, is trying to raise his daughter-granddaughter uh, so her mom can't. Like, it's just full of crazy stuff like that that's super upsetting, and it doesn't really do anything with it. It, it has no time or interest. Like It could have... The scandal that is at the foundation of the the Mulray family could have been anything. It could have been drugs. It could have it could have still been sex and have been more salacious and less uh, yeah, problematic. Yeah, it it didn't have to be this, you know. And I think that's an important thing when we talk about what happens in a film. Choices were made. Films don't just like come out of the ether fully formed. Uh, when you're an artist, sometimes the idea might come out of the ether not fully formed, but that's your job is to fully form it, and your job when you're fully forming a piece of art, especially if you're a man making a film where the rape of a woman is a central plot point, you better do your, your work. You better make sure you are making a movie that is empathetic and sensitive, and this film is neither of those things ever. Correct. I would argue that this film has no empathy for anyone, really. Um, not even the daughter at the center of all this. Do we ever catch her name, by the way?
1: Catherine. Catherine. Catherine.
2: Um, c- Catherine is so key to everything that happens in this movie and has, like, three lines of dialogue, and we just know nothing about and her. Well, well she's a MacGuffin. A shriek. You're right. absolutely right. I mean, she's just a MacGuffin. Yes. yes, she is. Which, by extension, makes the rape of Faye Dunaway's character, MacGuffin, which is... A plot contrivance.
1: Insane,
2: uh, especially when we get this MacGuffin revealed to us when... I can't believe this is a thing that happens in a movie. Jack Nicholson slaps the ever-loving shit out of Faye Dunaway until she reveals the truth of her rape. That's just a thing that happens in this movie. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm sorry, I don't think we need a movie like that uh, when we're talking about film noir. There's better film noirs that I would say interrogate the icky nuances of human oppression and sexuality without being so bad upsetting without needlessly upsetting I'm, I'm fine watching upsetting things i watched climax last night at 10:20 by myself like I, i'm game give me give me the weird M- make my eyes hurt but do something with it say yeah. something about it and if you can't fully articulate it maybe you should i don't know make a different movie so it's and that's the thing that's troubling is watching a very good film that is consistently troubling is just part of film studies i think but for me, I, I I could never get over how upsetting it is. That said, Nicholson's great. Faye Dunaway's great. Um, all the performances in this movie are really good. Uh, the pacing is fantastic. Uh, I like that Giddes is so ineffectual. like He gets beat up and assaulted so many times in this movie. Mm-hmm. And having the protagonist of a detective story just not be super good at his job is always kind of a fun idea. Just having this person who's kind of stumbling along the way, because I, I, I think there are times, credit, uh, you know, as much as I've just bashed the screenplay, I think uh, Faye Dunaway's character, the real Mrs. Mulray, um, please stand up, has more agency at times than Giddes does. I mean, he's just kind of along for the ride. Yeah. Uh, and she she kind of, like, moves a lot of the plot forward. Uh, that, that said, he, he does, too, at the end. Um, but there's just, we haven't even talked about the racism either, by the way, uh, which is just all over this movie. This movie is mean to Chinese people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and features a, a really uh, underutilized James Hong, mm-hmm. uh, who we just keep seeing pop up. Do you know this man has like 150-some-odd screen credits, by the way? And why is his name Mr. Khan? Yeah, I don't know what that's about. That's not Asian. Well, I mean, it's Asian, but yeah, it's it not is. Chinese. It's definitely Asian. Uh, well, hey, look. The, the empire was big. I mean, ethnic uh, groups tend to disperse across countries. Nations, man. uh, Look, I'm just saying if there's anything we're going to examine, that might not be the first thing to examine. Uh, I'm going to get stuck in a time loop of talking about how much this movie hurts my feelings, so uh, I'm going to go ahead and say that's all I've got to say for right now before we move on to analysis.
0: All right. Well, thank you very much for that, Mr. Daltzer. What do you say, Arthur, in terms of your
1: review? So as a movie, I, I do think, you know, from a narrative screenplay standpoint, and I want to shout out um the Robert Town here. Yeah, Robert Town's great uh writing this script. And I, I know that there was a different ending uh originally planned and then they uh Polanski audibled and they kind of shot that on the fly while we got there at the end, uh, which definitely reinforces kind of the the parallels I was doing a lot of reading and how this parallels the edible story, uh not just the the major, you know, incestual thing, but the whole kind of play as well. it it, it parallels that quite a bit. Um, which I thought was interesting. Uh, And I I do think it's a great screenplay. Like you mentioned, all of the threads that are there, the way they're weaved together, the way things are planted so early on and capitalized on much later, I think all of that is uh, fascinating to watch play out. I'm never super invested in this, though. I I think it is very good uh, from a purely objective standpoint. Um, But I'm just, I don't know, I just feel a bit disconnected. I think the back half, uh, moves a little better uh, than mm-hmm. the front half. And so uh, once they go to the albacore, uh, not the albacore, once they go to the nursing home, mm-hmm. a- Yeah, th- that's funded village. by the albacore club. Yes. Yeah. Uh, once they go through that and then through the end, I think it, it picks up quite well. Uh, I was left pretty wrecked by the ending. I, I, I think it sticks that landing. I think it is very affecting uh, in its way. Um, it is gross, uh, but it is also it's very mad. It is very sad. Um, you know, I, I I do cry at movies a lot, um, usually because of something joyous or, you know, a beloved family member dies, you know, those kind of parent relationships get me. Uh, but this is one where I was almost moved to tears just purely on how uh how uh bleak and affecting it really is. And and this is one of those films that you know, we often talk about separating the art from the artist. And this is one where it is so inherently tied together that you can't and, – and not just the, the rape thing, right? I mean thinking about why Polanski would make this movie, which is so nihilistic. I mean he primarily worked kind of in horror thrillers uh, previous to this, and, and then um, everything happens with Sharon Tate, right, and really changes his relationship with – Obviously, his outlook on life, mm-hmm. uh, but also, and I don't want to come off as defending him anyway, but I think putting him in a mindset here, where he is questioning uh, bodies such as the journalism, such as the police, such as those those things, uh, and, and seeing how those systems don't really work for the greater good, uh, as as we much as we put hope into them, a- and so from that that standpoint, it is painfully obvious why he'd be so. Pessimistic and nihilistic at this point. Yeah, we
2: were talking off air about the the timeline of Polanski's life, and uh, <clears throat> you know when in relation to uh, post jaron Tate, post you know pre exile from the U.S. Like yeah. when when in his life did this happen? And Arthur, you you informed me that. Um, it's come out in recent years that prior to um, the the incident, the rape that led him to flee the country, there's been reports that other women were assaulted by him yeah. both before and after that. So, Yeah.
1: Pre, I mean, I think from what I was reading, post Sharon's murder, um, but also pre-production of Chinatown. So I think around early 70s, 70, 72, there are a couple of allegations that have come out recently. Mm. Obviously, I don't think charges came, uh, the charges all came on the the, the noted uh, rape uh, in 77, I believe, is when that takes place. Um, but uh, going back, I mean, I'm, we don't really try to subscribe too much to the tour theory. There's so many cogs in you know, yeah. motion, uh, actors, writers, cinematography, scoring. Um, but, weird score in this movie, speaking of. Yeah, I think it's yeah. good, though, that trumpet score. I, I like score. It. It's, yeah.
2: it's, it's weird in places, but in a yeah. way that makes you go... What the fuck?
1: Yeah, I I think it's very affecting as well in, in relation to everything else. But uh I, I think this is one where you, you do read that because you see a man working, you know, he's he's from that system, right? Jake worked as a cop in Chinatown and he saw things and did things that he didn't like and he, he made a move away from that and it cost him a lot, but at the same time he's found a way to be able to help people while it's not the most quote unquote honest or um legitimate of careers he he does it i think to try to help people Uh, and so um it's interesting to see that you know one point in time jake was probably the the author stand-in but in hindsight it is that john houston character which is incredibly alarming and off-putting um and so it's you know i I think we'll talk a lot more about tourism and structuralism and and analysis we can dive in there but it's, it's a tale of two movies, and I, I think as objectively as I can, it is a good movie. I, I think it's a great script. I don't, you know, objectively love it. Uh, I, I don't know that I'd rewatch It just doesn't really grab me as much as something like I, I'd rather watch, you know, Maltese Falcon or The Big Sleep, you know, instead, or or L.A. Confidential, like I mentioned at the open, which I thought was a lot more uh, arresting from the get-go and, and the different threads that that introduces. So, um, it, it is objectively good, um, and so I, I did like it from for the, for the most part, yeah.
2: Yeah, from a craft standpoint, you're right. It is kind of hard to deny at certain points. Um, <clears throat> something you said, Arthur, that got me thinking was the film does kind of seem to address some of the things that we're talking about, uh, that we're going to talk about this week uh, right at the top uh, with the ways in which Jake Geddes interacts with his male client, paid, played by uh, Paulie from Rocky, which is just fun to see him around. I forget that actor's name. Um, and it's w- Polly. He's yeah. only he's only ever Polly. And the way he interacts with uh, the fake Mrs. Mulray, right? We get two very different interactions uh, from Jake about how he interacts with a man who wants to know his wife's secrets and a wife who wants to know her husband's secrets. It's uh, it's it's very very interesting. Uh, and I think the, the it's it's one of those moments where you're like the screenplay knows that this is a weird movie, and it just doesn't really stick uh, addressing it. Dustin, what do you what do you think, man? So I'm kind of with you guys. I think it's a really well-made film. I
0: mean in terms of doing a film noir well, you've got to have the super labyrinthine kind of plot and that you've got to draw the threads together in a way that makes sense. And in, in some ways it's more successful than even like the big sleep at doing that kind of thing because the big sleep you just sort of forget what's going on, and uh, you sort of get caught back up, and you know the dots are being connected at times, and sometimes you just sort of forget about dots that may or may not be left out. Um, I think all the dots end up connecting in the big sleep, but that being said, uh, you don't really feel the aha, the strength of the aha uh, in the big sleep that you do in Chinatown, which I think makes it in that sense more successful. It's gorgeously shot. Uh, Jack Nicholson's performance is amazing. Um, All of that's going on. John Huston's performance is just full of of threat and power and smarminess and just wow! It's a good but villain performance. I read
1: a fun tidbit. Uh, I guess uh, as they started filming this, Uh Nicholson had just started dating Angelica Houston, John Houston's daughter, uh, and um, I guess yeah, Jack found the uh, the interrogation when they're having lunch together. Uh, You know, are you sleeping with my daughter? That whole thing was a little. Off-putting for him and uncomfortable at the time because yeah. of their uh, their newfound wow. relationship, which is kind of a fun fun trivial bit. That's interesting. Yeah, that's something else, right?
0: Uh, so yeah, I mean, I think all of that really, really works. But at the same time, this movie could be. I mean, and this is where sometimes it's very important to separate the art and the artist. But this is one of those movies where you just simply cannot do that. Um, this movie would look like the sort of depicting the hopeless fate of women in sort of the system of patriarchy, in the ways in which uh, they are abused, and the way Catherine ends up being whisked away by John Houston at the end of the film to probably experience the same sort of horrors that Evelyn has experienced. Uh, that that sort of nihilistic, uh, dark, dark, just abyss of an ending would be. Uh, something of a cautionary tale uh, in the hands of any other director but the fact that it is Roman Polanski guilty of the same types of crimes that John Houston's character is in um, that Polanski injects himself in the film as a henchman and a thug of Polanski he's got to cuts Jake's nose that all of that stuff takes place you cannot then separate and it becomes a film in which and I'm going to get away with it and of course He does. And so it becomes this disgusting confession. It becomes O.J. Simpson's If I Did It is what it ends up becoming. And uh, that's where it gets really, really gross for me. And so despite the fact that as a cinematic experience and as a cultural touchstone and as an homage in the uh, film noir, it does everything it does very, very well – it's Rowan Polanski's rape movie, um, and he's a rapist, and I can't get by it.
2: Yeah, it is <clears throat> it is impossible uh, yeah, to yeah. separate the art from the artist. Uh, I would argue probably all the time, but a s sp- Especially this time Well it's got the same problem Manhattan has got You know Mm -hmm. Manhattan is
0: again a Sort of a pedophilia sort of love story And uh, knowing what we know now about Woody Allen You cannot I mean yes is it well shot Is it beautiful Is it um, interesting in many ways Um, Is it sort of a level of craft That we have never seen up to this point It is all of those things But because this is what the guy did And it depicts the thing that the guy did It becomes almost unwatchable and uh, that's sort of where I end up falling down with Chinatown. It's like, yeah, I mean, I like everything it's doing, but um, I don't like any, I don't like who's doing it. And the reason um, that it occurs that way is, I think, in some ways, there's a possible redemption in the hands of another director of a movie like Chinatown that Manhattan doesn't have. And so, I would actually put it a notch above in the sort of sewer that it lives in um somewhere just above the flood line but it's still in the sewer as far as i'm concerned um so that's where it ends up landing for me um so there you go dear listener those are our thoughts initially coming into chinatown um let's go on and let's expand the syllabus a little bit um what else should you be watching with chinatown or perhaps instead um as we think about some of the old format um statements that we used to make, uh, how would you expand the syllabus? You're teaching a class, and you've chosen Dalton. Yeah. Or maybe it was voiced upon you in an assigned syllabus.
2: You've got so much homework to do, listener, and I'm really sorry, but we got a lot to unpack here, and we don't have a lot of time to do it. Yeah. So, we're going to start off. Key phrase. Yeah, I know. I'm going to keep it quick. We're going to start off with, uh, again, the homework. I think there's a lot of context that's important here. We're going to start with episode number 356 of of The Dollop about uh, the Resnick family uh, and all the motherfucking water they've stolen from California to raise wonderful pistachios. Uh, It is... Very good listening that's going to make you very, very mad to learn that the plot of the movie Chinatown is still happening. And uh, we'll talk more about this when we get to analysis. The events that uh, Chinatown is loosely based upon uh, happened like 1908. They did not happen in the 30s. Uh, but their water was actually stolen from farmers to decrease the value of their land, get them to sell. And then the water was restored. It's it's super complicated Uh More so than it is depicted in Chinatown, uh, both what happened in 1908 and what still happens to this very day uh, at the hands of the Resnicks.
0: Hey, man, I lived in a town in eastern Colorado, and this actually happened. There was an ancient, like, early 1900s water treaty signed with the state of Nebraska and Colorado. And they ended up uh, telling all the farmers in this particular area, you don't get to irrigate anymore. Sorry, because that water's got to keep going.
2: And I don't know enough uh, about it to really get into it, and uh, that's not this kind of show. So, if you would like to learn how water rights and how the putting things under the label of farming allows rich people to do all kinds of shady stuff, go check out uh, the doll number 356. Next up, I stumbled across a really incredible like six-part, seven-part video essay about Mad Max Fury Road from this YouTube account called Innuendo Studios. Um, Just a really, really good uh, discussion of uh, toxic masculinity and sexual violence and violence in film and the ways in which uh, Mad Max Fury Road is its own kind of action movie and kind of presents us with uh, female action movie characters that don't really exist anywhere else. So again, really, really great homework there to just kind of... Get you a, a little bit more learned, uh, covers some things that we talk a lot about on this show uh, with uh, a lot of uh, entertainment value in an easy-to-digest way, but again, just gives more time to some of that background work that we don't always have time to do on the show. So I'd recommend both of those things. In terms of films, uh, you are going to uh, check out first a TV show, actually, season two of True Detective, which I know most people uh, don't really care for, but I think there's some really interesting stuff going on there and uh, it's very clear that that season of TV was going for a Chinatown-esque noir. It's trying to be a a season of television about the ways in which land gets redistributed by the wealthy, uh, about uh, the sexual abuses of power of the wealthy. It's it's about a lot of things, and that's part of the problem. It's kind of about too much. But uh, I I think it's very interesting, uh, especially when you pair it with Chinatown. I think True Detective Season 2 kind of shows you how a uh, a male filmmaker making a mystery that involves the uh subjugation of women in our society is always going to be a thorny bit of material and i think a lot of i think there are plenty of uh male filmmakers who've done it very well um one of which is my next recommendation and that is uh last year's assassination nation uh, which uh, I just caught up with today. It's uh, Sam... Oh God, what is the name of that filmmaker, Arthur? Um, Levinson? Shit.
1: Yeah, Barry Levinson's son.
2: No, <laughs> damn it, you're right. Uh, anyway, Assassination Nation is so great because... I don't China, think he was kidding. Wait, oh, I thought you were doing a bit. Is it really? Yeah. Holy crap. Yeah. Whoa, that's cool. Yeah. Uh, Sam Levinson directed the hell out of this movie, and it's weird that we didn't talk more about it because it is like... If it's it's like if eighth grade was also a horror movie, um, somehow this man made this movie that is so much about the experience of being a, a girl in a public school, uh, and really just made this big sprawling statement about culture. Uh, and again, I think it, in much the same way that Bo Burnham did with eighth grade, it just it takes something that uh, you're shocked to see a male filmmaker be able to articulate with so much empathy and heart and care and to just be careful to actively make an attempt to say, I want to make a movie about these thorny things. And I know it's maybe not my story to tell, but I got a lot of feelings about this. And I feel like the lessons that I was taught about masculinity come into play in this conversation. And, uh, I'm not going to say things like, it's brave for a man to make a movie about bad things happening to women, because it's absolutely not a brave thing to do, but it's a difficult thing to do. Yeah. Uh, and I, I think Assassination Nation just is a a much better film about the fact that our society doesn't want women to have secrets, but it's okay for men to have secrets. Uh, again, we talked about that uh, just a little bit ago with the fact that the way Geddes interacts with the fake mrs mulray and says oh don't worry about it it's okay if your husband's cheating on you no big deal it's better you don't know yeah whereas with uh, his male client he was like yeah absolutely we're gonna find out right now uh, and it, it just takes that out and makes it a movie about the internet uh which i think is really really profound uh in this day and age to uh to have that conversation about who gets to have privacy and who does not get to have privacy um And I guess it's a better exploration of these same themes. Um, uh, The fact that uh, we have a society that just cannot abide uh, women getting to have their own lives and keep them private from prying eyes. Uh, So just just do that. That's way better. Uh, Last but not least, I think you watch another uh, uh, post-noir era noir uh, that's equally problematic, uh, but I would say a little bit easier to digest, and that is uh, Robert Rodriguez's Sin City. Uh, which is another film about taking all of the subtext of uh, Hayes Code era noir films and making it the text of the film. Uh, I, I rewatched Sin City a couple of years ago, and I'm really shocked at how well it had held up for me. Um, I, I think uh, there's just a lot going on in that film. And again, really problematic people behind. I'm not specifically talking about Robert Rodriguez, uh, although his uh, working relationship with uh, the Weinstein Company for many years uh, through Mir, well, the Weinstein brothers through Miramax, and then I can't remember if any of his films got released by the the, the company. But uh, him uh, is who I'm thinking of less so than uh, Frank Miller, who uh, wrote uh, the graphic novel Sin City's based on, uh, is credited as a special guest director or some shit like that. No, that's Tarantino. I can't remember. Anyway, there's some really not great guys involved in the making of Sin City, and uh, it, it kind of gives you that, that similar vein that Chinatown has of navigating problematic art with uh, without hurting you so bad, I would say. And again, it's another film that f- focuses a lot on the horrible, horrible things that men do to women. Uh, but I, I, I think it's schlocky and genre enough that it is able to kind of couch that in some other... Uh, just things that, yeah, we've got a lot of uh, scantily clad avenging women in, in that film. But I think having that aspect allows the conversation to get a little bit weirder and bigger and more nuanced than it does in Chinatown. So that, that's what I'm going to recommend. A little bit of homework, but some, some interesting watching.
0: Nice play, nice play. What would you do, Arthur, if you're teaching a class? And again, we're going to assume that the syllabus was like foisted upon
1: you. Yeah. So, so uh-
0: Go ahead. Oh, well.
1: Uh, I've got three bits from different mediums here The first is going to come from television It's more for fun This is kind of maybe bonus work That you can tackle on the side If you have time Uh, But that is uh, There's a two episode arc uh, In season one of My Crazy Ex-Girlfriend Where Rachel um, Tries to get close to uh, Joshua Felix Chan uh, By suing his apartment complex For some water issues And over the course they uncover This much bigger conspiracy of of water related issues really and, great uh, uh, musical number yeah in there's that. some fun riffs on the music man and les miz uh in those two episodes it's episodes 12 and 13 in season one uh and it's just it's if you need to cleanse your palate and just have some fun and, and really kind of deep dive into what that show's about i, I think that's a, a fun place to kind of go and get some great musical numbers and really see the heart of the the narrative there with the rachel and josh good and, palate cleanser yeah uh and so that's that's just more purely for fun uh if anything but some more required reading uh the the one i'm really more interested in is one after I took my hiatus came back is when we talked about really close to that uh, It's another film noir uh, it's almost a history from below type of aspect though because it is devil in a blue dress yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, ooh, it's ooh, uh, Carl good. Franklin's adaptation featuring the great Denzel Washington Don as, Cheadle too yeah yeah as, as kind of a not private eye private eye he gets hired to find a girl uh, and he gets wrapped up into this whole political scandal and it, it really does a great job of kind of investigating more of, of class and of race and asking those types of questions and uh, Denzel's character really navigating all of these different worlds. Just, he's, he's just trying to get his, get on with his life is really what it is. He gets, he's wrapped up into this yeah. thing he's not really a willing participant in, uh, and he's trying to find a way out and to survive the situation as best he can. Um, and I think it does a lot of, you know, similar beats and similar things, but I think it's exploring them in interesting ways. And it's just a really good undersung movie, um, that, that should have a little bit more clout than it does. I think. Um,
2: it's one of the great unsung movies of the 90s for sure yeah uh,
1: and so it's you know, obviously a great Denzel performance but also just a great film noir uh, playing with those tropes uh, a great lead character uh, that Denzel's portraying as, as uh, Easy Rawlins uh, just such a good name too adapted from a, a series of Books I think or something Yeah there's like 20 now I mean they followed
2: Easy Rollins all the way Up into like the Vietnam era
1: Yeah so I mean There's definitely You know I I wish we could Have got a series Of these movies And and I think it would be Really interesting to have that But uh Give me the Easy Rollins reboot Bring back Denzel Bring back Carl Franklin Please do it I, I could go for some Easy Rollins right now uh, I think that would be great. But finally, the last bit of required reading is a podcast as well, and that is the uh, the series from You Must Remember This on Charles Manson's Hollywood. Oh, yeah, I was thinking the same thing, yeah. so I'm glad you said it too. Uh, yeah. It's ep- it's episodes 44 through 55. It's an 11-part series. You know, my my understanding of Charles Manson's relationship with Hollywood was always the Sharon Tate murders, right, uh, which is the the tie-in here. She does an episode specifically around uh, Roman Polanski, she goes into the charges, goes into all of that, very in-depth. The whole series is very well-researched, uh, really gave me a new appreciation of the new Hollywood because she's exploring kind of the the groundbreaking, the 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 dynamics that really brought that cinematic movement into life, um, and so she does a great job of, of laying out this story, talking about Manson how he got ingrained into the Hollywood culture the people he was in circles with Yeah the the, the
2: counterculture that allowed yeah, this Manson. new Hollywood to happen is the same yeah. counterculture that allowed Manson it made that yeah. happen
1: yeah And she goes in depth into the Manson family and, and everybody they interacted with in, uh, going into the Tate murders and, and that tragedy as well as exploring Polanski as a person as an artist as a problematic figure and and really it's a great deep dive into this period That puts so much into perspective And and, I mean obviously You listen to that whole show You must remember this is just One of the best podcasts out there But I don't know of another podcast You know run of episodes As good as Charles Manson's Hollywood And what it does uh, From a historical perspective But also from informative And also inspiring And what she's able to The picture she's able to paint And so you've got to If nothing else comes out of this podcast Go listen to those, those 11 episodes Because they're a masterwork in 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 narrative, not even just podcasting. I mean, documentary as well. I mean, do it. Well, okay. So uh, my
0: my assignment would be similar. So that would be the uh, second half of the assignment, leading up to the moment of Chinatown. But I would also assign leading up to nineteen fifty nine, um, Kenneth Anger's Hollywood Babylon, uh, his book, which is all that gossip and all that sort of back room dealings yeah. and dirty, nasty that goes on within the whole Hollywood system, I would assign those two things. So you'd read Hollywood Babylon, you'd listen to those episodes, then you'd also read a book uh, by um, oh, Gene, oh, what is his last name? Hold on, I've got it right here. Simmons? Uh, it's not Gene Simmons. Are you uh, sure? I'm absolutely positive it's not. Um, it, what if Gene Simmons was doing some... I read that all film? night.
2: What if he was doing some high-level
0: film and part of every day. Oh my <laughs> gosh. Gene up. Phillips. Oh man. okay, so not Gene Simmons. Gene Simmons is um Out of the Shadows, which is an expanding the uh, you, We we
2: him. We got him. You said Gene Simmons. I uh, did I didn't gotcha. even Gene you. Phillips out of the shadows. Out of the shadows, which
0: I is heard of this. Uh, the subtitle of that book is Expanding the Uh Canon of Film Noir. Mm. I
1: love that adaptation. Yeah. What we do in the Shadows
0: <laughs> <laughs> I knew you were gonna do it. Out of the Shadows by Gene Phillips. Um Gene Simmons starring in What We Do in the Shadows after what we do yes. in the shadows. Um But uh, it's expanding the canon So it's talking about what is film noir As the original cycle So it deals with the 1941 to 1958-ish Initial cycle And just sort of describing those parameters That make film noir what film noir is And then talks about other films that are happening In that moment that might also fit The the film noir cycle And then films that happened after And even a couple before that happened That And try to help us understand What is this thing called film noir That we're dealing with I'd probably also assign the the, the introduction to James Naramore's More Than Night, uh, his uh, Film Noir and Context book, which is sort of like the ur-text of all things Film Noir. Um, but I assume that students, if they're in this particular class, are probably doing a research paper and would have to read more of it than that. Um, so that would be
2: something they would do on their own time. He would have a very difficult and strenuous curriculum. Well, yeah, I'm,
1: I'm here to make you hurt. I've got a subjective test lined up, baby. I was just going gonna... to... Uh... It's a matching.
2: I was going to give a pretty easy assignment. I just wanted to hear what your thoughts were on Chinatown students. <laughs> no, I want them to work.
1: It's am going to make them work. It's going to make them watch
2: a lot of shit.
0: Yeah. So uh, I would assign that. And then lastly, I would assign a film watch, um, which is... Um, Good night. Um, More Than the Wind. No, what is the name of the stupid movie? I've just now lost everything in my brain. Other Side of the Wind. Other Side of the Wind. The Wind Rises. He's
2: too confident with his lack of notes.
0: Uh, (sighs) The Other Side of the Wind, which also stars John Mm Huston as a film director... Um, I talked about it as one of my favorite films In yeah. 2018, it's directed by Orson Welles yep. um, And it was a lost film For a very very long time And it's all this problematic Hollywood stuff And more John Huston performances And it's super experimental And uh, I want to be able to sort of add Another sort of layer to the possible Conversation with Other Side of the Wind So um, there you go That's my syllabus expansion uh, Thank you dear co-hosts for your expansions I guess now it's time To get down to business And that business is, as always, yes. analysis. Um, oh, who... boy. So Biggie on the i yeah? Let's go ahead and wait. Let's okay. go ahead and
2: talk about form. Okay, uh, tell,
0: tell me tell me what you want to say form why?
2: Well, first of all, I think it's super important. I didn't get to watch this uh, very, very long uh, film essay slash documentary, Los Angeles Plays Itself. It's uh, so good. By Tom Anderson. It was super hard to find for years and years and years. I think you can just run it on YouTube now. But You can steal it in lots of places. Yeah, I didn't have three and a half hours to watch this, so I didn't. It's so worth it. I've, so I've heard. But I do want to read very briefly... Um, There is a section in that film where he, uh, I'm going to try to get through this as quick as possible, uh, but Tom Anderson kind of lays out the relationship between Chinatown's script and the historical context that we've already talked about, the water wars in California that happened in the early 1900s. So very briefly, Robert Towne took an urban myth about the founding of Los Angeles on water stolen from the Owens River Valley and made it resonate. Chinatown isn't a docudrama, it's a fiction. The watered project it depicts isn't the construction of the L.A. Aqueduct, engineered by William Mulholland before the First First World War. Chinatown is set in 1938, not 1905. The Mulholland-like figure, Hollis Mulray, isn't the chief architect of the project, but rather its strongest opponent, who must be discredited and murdered. Mulray is against the Alto Vallejo Dam because it's unsafe, not because it's stealing water from anybody else. But there are echoes of Mulholland's aqueduct project in Chinatown. Mulholland's project enriched its promoters through insider land deals in the San Fernando Valley, just like the dam project in Chinatown. The disgruntled San Fernando Valley farmers of Chinatown forced to sell off their land at bargain prices because of, because of an artificial drought seem like stand-ins for the Owens Valley settlers whose homesteads turned to dust when Los Angeles took the water that irrigated them. The Vanderlip Dam disaster, which Hollis Mulray cites to explain his opposition to the proposed dam, is an obvious reference to the collapse of the St. Francis Dam in 1928. Mulholland built this dam after completing the aqueduct, and its failure was the greatest man-made disaster in the history of California. These echoes have led many viewers to regard Chinatown not only as docudrama, but as truth, the real secret history of how L.A. got its water. And it has become a ruling metaphor of the nonfictional critiques of Los Angeles development. So, why did we read all of that? Uh, to talk about film noir, obviously, mm-hmm. uh, because if film noir does nothing else, it talks about the time when America was supposed to be good uh, and reminds us that it was nothing, if not terrible.
0: Right, yeah, the 40s is a super cynical time in American history We don't get that sort of um, June Cleaver kind of uh, Americana feel Until the mid-50s and that sort of baby boom moment um, after the war But in the moment of the war and just after the war It's a really, really greasy kind of ugly experience I'll read a quote myself actually I was going to save it for later But I think it actually applies now All right, to what it. you're saying So I'm reading from William Parks uh, Great little book What is Film Noir? Question mark From a book now University Press and it says this The popular arts And Hollywood in particular Have always acted As mirrors of the country What would cultural historians Do without them Through our investigation Though our investigation Is centered on a period In the history of Hollywood It goes without saying That the mood And subjects of film noir Reflected nationwide Anxieties and concerns Arising out of World War II And post-war experiences Just like classic Hollywood And oh. so and it's the cynical side of it
2: Thanks Dustin that, Yeah that pairs really well With what we're, uh, we're talking That's about That's what Amazon like I was
0: saving it for later But I'm like You
2: just said the thing So I need to say the thing now Yeah absolutely So I did not prepare a, a uh, quote So apologies No Everybody. no worries uh, You suck No it's okay Arthur's uh, here for uh, other things in that quote Arthur's uh, insights don't require other people's insights That's correct His his They are so original and brilliant uh, but I, I think it's important to talk about what is film noir and how does it function like both politically and thematically uh, if we're going to crack up in Chinatown.
0: Um, film noir is fundamentally the underside, right? It's the underbelly. It is this seedy thing that we're hiding from. It's at, oh, in, in the height of modernism. And it's, I th-
2: it's crime movies, but it's so much more.
0: Yeah. I mean, modernism is the moment of the 20s and the 30s and the 40s in which we are having in, – in terms of cinema, we have all these city symphonies, right? We have Manhattan. We have uh, Skyscraper Symphony and other sort of avant-garde art films. Uh, we have even like Fritz Long's Metropolis yeah. and uh, those kind of movies that are uh, celebrating. signs me with a movie camera a little bit. Yeah, yeah. yeah we're celebrating this, uh, this moment of high technology, the city, the pinnacle of human history. And yet and still we've had the two world wars. We've got the Great Depression. We've got racial tensions. We've got uh, corrupt politicians and police forces. And that's where film noir comes in. They say, yes, indeed, there's a lot of brilliant and wonderful stuff that's going. Going on in our cities but there's also a lot of really really gross really really frightening kind of stuff happening as well and so that's that, that's sort of the impetus of film noir. Arthur already mentioned the impetus for Polonsky, um being the murder of his wife and an unborn child um, by the Manson family uh, as sort of something that brings about some of the nihilism that and distrust of authority figures that's going on. But we also have to remember 1974
2: is two years after the Watergate break-in. And, two years after the – or three years after the end of the Vietnam War.
0: And so it's also a moment in which our, our very you know foundations – I mean the, the – the pinnacle of our political structure is, is symbolized by our president. That, and, kind of, at all times in American history, and to see the corruption there is really, really disillusioning. Um, now we live in a moment right now. We're in the Trump era, and uh, we are kind of used to not trusting our politicians. We are, um, we are sort of, um, in some ways, anesthetized. We are sort of inoculated to the fact that they're crooks and they're all bad and they're all. I grew up sealed. during
2: the Clinton years, baby. You can't trust fucking anyone. No,
0: yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, Nixon's I'm not a crook thing is like a punchline yeah. and was a punchline hard in the 90s. And so for us it's it's a little bit different. We, when we flash the the sort of history moment way back in the 70s when this is revealed, it is like removing the veil and seeing that there is definitely a man behind the curtain and the man is a charlatan.
2: Well, and this is where we get to what Tom Anderson's getting at with that that brief bit from his essay. Los Angeles plays itself. There are so many times in history. Uh, the dollop, uh, as I mentioned as part of your homework, listener, uh, is really great at connecting the dots of scandals from the eighteen hundreds, seventeen hundreds, sometimes uh, in the early twentieth century to scandals we have going on today. There have been so many times in this stupid country's history that we have had the veil lifted for us. And we've been shown just what's going on behind the curtain. And every single time, either through our own short attention spans, our own lack of motivation, uh, or our own inability to fight power, it just goes away. And the only things we have left to memorialize that we even had the damn conversation begin with sometimes is cinema. Uh, or mass media at large, I guess you could argue, but for our purposes, cinema... Uh, and so that's how you get instead of a movie about what actually happened with the water distribution and the founding of LA, you get Chinatown. Do
0: you feel like there's something unique though about the Watergate era? I I, I do because it seems to me that we <sighs> pretended like it didn't happen. I, I would say afterward, and then we just pretend we just
2: decided we didn't care well, after Watergate, or we decided that we were all on the same side the whole time. Yeah, we 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 erase the narrative that there were plenty of people going to bat for Nixon until the eleventh damn hour. Uh, you know, kind of like we've got going on right now. Uh, I think the only difference between that political scandal and former ones was the invention of mass media, and I would argue that's what's different about this scandal uh, versus previous ones is the advent of social media. Mm. And what a huge role that has played in our political discourse over the last four years or so. Now, Watergate does not bother me. Does your conscience bother you? Oh, yeah, brother. Moving on. Um, <laughs> so, so let's uh, – Skinnered. Maybe happens. we should talk more about yeah. – we've talked a lot about the political uh, and cultural influences on film noir and neo-noir a little bit. because uh, we talked about these, these ways in which uh, historical cycles repeat themselves just – you know dumb human uh inability to evolve uh, creates these similar uh collapses of trust in institutions so we get more film noirs out of the 70s and the 90s and now i mean we keep revisiting this this genre this mode of filmmaking what does it look like i guess let's just say to ourselves you know there's all kinds of writing about what is even a film noir we've watched uh, the three of us have sat in classes or not classes but presentations and watched uh Learned professors of letters be fucking assholes. And I apologize, listener. I know I've tried to watch my language lately on this show, but uh, I don't know what else to call what I saw at that uh, presentation at OU. Fudging OSU. bungholes. Fudging bungholes. And They're not wrong. There's you, you remember the guy I'm talking about, right? Yes. So we watched this guy from OU uh, be really mean to this uh, really, really. Uh, smart bit of uh, film analysis about The Big Lebowski and how it's a film noir. And basically, this, this ding-dong uh, told this student that her, her thesis was nonsense.
0: And he was a butthole because she was a woman.
2: Oh, oh yeah, absolutely.
0: I uh, mean, let's be very clear. He felt like he could get away with picking on her because she was a girl.
2: Probably. Uh, I wish I could remember that guy's name because I'm not scared to call him out on air. Andy uh, Horton. Oh, it's Andy Horton? Dying a fire. Well, I'm not going to tell him to die in a fire. I don't know the man. Uh, But uh, maybe uh, reevaluate how you talk to people at uh, conferences, maybe. So anyway, the point is there's a lot... Of uh, old, dumb, fuddy duddy saying they know what film noir is and trying to make it an objective definition, I'd say let's subjectively for ourselves just kind of lay that groundwork real quick.
0: Okay, yeah, I mean, it's a good question because is it a genre? Is it a style? I mean, and this is where the debate just loses its mind. I mean, clearly they are kind of crime films. Kind of. Clearly, there is a particular sort of chiaroscuro, high-contrast kind of style that's very influenced by German expressionism and sometimes, to lesser extent, Italian neorealism. Um, Thomas Schatz uh, goes to bat to say that uh, film noir is style, and he calls it American expressionism sort of coining the term from German Expressionism. Others go much closer and cleave closer to the idea of genre. Uh, Dave Naramore does more of that. That Genre is a, because it has a sort of biological thing, it's a node of families of related kinds of films, and they may be related in uh, lesser or greater extents. They may be related in terms of particular traits that you can see that there's a hair hair color sort of uh, relationship between these two different films, right? Uh, As opposed to a mannerism sort of relationship to those different kinds of films, and so for him, genre is a a broadened kind of thing. I don't know what you want to say. And then there's also the historical argument that it's a cycle of films. That it's these post-war films from 1941 to 1958 beginning with Maltese Falcon, ending with Orson Welles, A Touch of Evil.
2: You know what that is? What's that? That's the nerd's answer. Yeah. That's a a ding-dong's answer who wants to make film fit into boxes and uh, that's not how it works.
0: But then what they end up doing with it is what we were doing just a moment ago with Chinatown. We're saying it's a retro noir, right? It's uh, going back and making a film noir set in the 1940s, but we're doing Doing so in the seventies,
2: and I think there, therein lies, I think the big, the big issue. Right, it's a period piece too, which introduces a new layer of things to talk about, as opposed to the neo
0: noir, which is very much a film noir maybe style, certainly a film noir narrative, and then put those things in a modern contemporary context, I, like you might do in Fargo, like you might do in Hell or High Water, Hell or High Water, or set it in the future Blade Runner, Blade Runner, yeah,
2: uh, Gone Girl, if you want to set it in the suburbs. And so
0: all of those sort of things. And and here's what's weird is, film noir, I mean, the classic film noir. So we want to say, okay, Maltese Falcon's a detective story, right? Yeah. Double indemnity. Is an insurance scam. Yeah. Uh, The Postman Always Rings Twice is basically an affair
1: murder scheme. Those are narratively not the same. Yeah. Sunset Boulevard's about a screenwriter. Yeah. Trying to make a break. They're
0: stylistically very much the same. Sex, death, money. But then if you go, well, here we go. Detective stories like Humphrey Bogart, like what we see in Strangers on the Third Floor, like we see in The Dark Corner, these sort of investigation stories. Those are all films noir as well.
2: Casablanca is a film noir. It takes place in World War II. Well, then, then, then well, that's the other category I didn't mention, the near noir. The near noir, exactly. So for you, Dustin, you, you you gave me the cop-out academic answer. What do you feel like is your criteria? What is it kind of, for me, it's a real... Uh, it's like the pornography thing, right? I know a film noir when I see one. I think I'm with Bryant,
0: um, the Supreme Court justice ruling on pornography. That's what I'm saying. I, yeah, I, I know it when I see it. Exactly. I can't define
1: it. Yeah, I, I think that's the best way to tackle it. I mean, I, okay, I, there's certain, I guess, tropes. You know, well, I, I, I think you have a mystery. Mm-hmm. I think you have probably an anti-hero lead, and I think you have a the femme fatale. I mean, well, I think those. Are kind of the, the big pieces.
0: If you broaden it the way Naramore does in terms of genre and say, well, there are certain genres that we, we see a clear family resemblance, right? Mm-hmm. And it's like a physical resemblance. That might be style. Yeah. Right? Or you see a manneristic resemblance. Um, again, sort of this biological learned behavior where you, you clearly see uh, sort of a plot that works in a certain kind of way. Well, then, yeah, there's that. And so maybe it's style. Maybe it's plot. And sometimes it's a mix of the two. And between those two things, those two aspects, you put them together and something noir-ish comes out. that's where I'd go.
2: Okay. Mm -hmm. I'm just good to know that we're all kind of on the same page, though. That it's it's big and nebulous, and if you do try to put it in a box, you're inevitably going to set yourself up for failure.
0: And if you're a punk, by saying this is the borders of your box, there's always going to be something that doesn't quite work.
2: Yep. Don't do gatekeeping. It just makes you look like a jerk and makes other people feel dumb when they might have a really good point. Right, Andy. Yeah, Andy, you turk E. I don't know, I was trying to do a rhyme. I didn't it didn't really work very well. <laughs>
0: I, just got the, I think they're going to make a racial slur about the Turks. I'm like, the Turks are okay.
2: And the Turks are fine.
1: They don't like film noir, Dustin. Nah,
2: didn't you hear? I I, I didn't hear. I Ooh, that, that can't be true. There's Istanbul Istanbul's too good a place to have a oh, film man. noir set. Well, oh, yeah, yeah
0: uh, Casablanca stuff, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. All
2: right. Well, let's go ahead and uh, now we can talk about the Big E and the I chart, I guess, now that we've talked about what film noirs is. Yes. Okay, so this movie is a film noir
0: that is uh, using as its MacGuffin uh, incest. And uh, the um, illegitimate child of incest. I didn't see it
1: coming.
2: Yeah, much like the Spanish Inquisition, I often don't see incest coming as a subplot. I, Fascism, I frequently I do not see I it assumed coming. Assumed she was it's a cute th- pun you
1: did there, bud. He's really <sighs> proud of himself right now. It's real. Tail's wagging real hard. Um, <laughs> I uh, <laughs> I did. Uh, I I expected. I I figured it was the daughter. I I did put that. to it, But the incest. Through me, and it felt you don't see it. You really just don't see it happen ever. I would say we're getting
2: it more and more frequently. Fighting
1: about Evelyn,
0: you know that 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 sort of that when Houston reveals that they're fighting about Evelyn, yeah, it's clearly his interest is more than merely paternal. And
1: even her hesitation to name him as her her father, like there's some hesitation that had me questioning, like, is he her father, like? there was something off about that, the way she presents him, and also the way she just gets super anxious every time he comes up. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Faye
2: Faye Dunaway's performance in this is incredible. Very good. She's good. She she acts uh, the role of somebody who uh, has been uh, a victim at the hands of a family member's violence really incredibly well without, I think, ever letting that character lose an ounce of strength or uh, just... I, I don't even want to try to, like, find the right adjectives for it because I, I don't want to limit what that performance does. Because for me, it's one of the things that makes the film watchable. There's so much ickiness going on, and I think Faye Dunaway's performance really kind of saves it. She, she is the protagonist of this film more than Jake is yeah. in so many ways. I mean, he he really is kind of a deuteragon... Shit, I always forget how to say that word. You know what I'm talking about. Uh, the, the protagonist, antagonist, and then the one you don't always get, the... the Mm, the the do agonist or essentially there's making up literary. I'm not making up this word. I promise. Uh, It's, it's the word for when you have a second protagonist, basically. Yeah, I
1: mean, Giddis is our avatar enter into this world, but it really is her story. I think. Yeah. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. I,
2: I think she does such a good job of, of playing this character and to see the film around her, not have respect for her performance is just a downer. It really is. But, uh, the, I agree with you, Arthur. There's there's so much uncertainty with what's going on, and I think you can attribute most of that to Dunaway's performance and just her seeming to really have a handle on who that character is and like what she's gone through. Uh, it's it's really powerful.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I love what she does all, all the way throughout the film, but at the same time, um, as we were saying in terms of our, rev- our reviews, this film is one of those movies that. Uh, you just you sort of cannot escape in in this moment of me too and time's up in this moment of uh, a sort of reevaluation of filmmakers and film criticism um, certainly there is lots of art made by the monsters. entire
2: history of Hollywood honestly
0: right I mean and I think that's the value of reading something like Hollywood Babylon and then looking at the, the you know the you must remember this uh, podcast is that you're going to find that that history is full of bad actors acting badly.
2: Harvey Weinstein was not the first Harvey Weinstein No, he was not. not By a long shot And
0: and, and so you've got to make You've got to cull some of this stuff You've got to make some evaluations Where you're like This movie is reprehensible Because of its context And you may or may not put every single I mean I don't think you can take every movie by every bad actor ever and say that one's done I'm never going to watch another movie that stars you know this particular actor I'm not going to ever watch another movie with this particular director or you know I mean a producer which is a much larger swath of films um that sort of make the 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 blacklist here um I I don't think you can do that I I I and really participate in the discourse but, but- You shouldn't be scared to. You shouldn't be scared to put some of them there. Yeah. And this movie... As using Faye Dunaway's character as poorly as it does, as abusively as it does, as all the female—I mean, Ida Sessions for crying out loud—is just a used working girl in this movie, and she just dies badly. Um, the fact that we go to Polly's house again, and his wife's got a black eye for um, you know get us giving him the information,
2: and again, it's fine to give him the info. And It's, it's played as a joke. Yeah, it's played as a joke. That Giddis got this wife beat up. it's so so jarring It's mm-hmm. so upsetting and I think you're absolutely right, Dustin that like don't be scared to put things away to put them on the blacklist that says, you know what? we don't need to talk about this anymore yeah uh, and I think when a film is from somebody when the pro- the people involved in a film's production are this problematic and the film is this problematic. Oh, boy. Like, you know what? I'll still watch X-Men 2 because that film is real good and I don't think it's too entire, too terribly icky, even though I think Brian Singer's kind of an icky dude. He kind of sucks, yeah. yeah. Well,
1: even, I mean, I watched L.A. Confidential, which has a pivotal performance from Kevin Spacey. Yeah. And, you know, in hindsight, and some of the thematic stuff in that film that's investigated is, ugh, but the film on the whole, I yeah. think, is still is very watchable for me personally. Yeah. I, I could go through that and not have as many reservations as I can something with Chinatown. I mean, after watching Chinatown, just the idea of, you know, if I I own a copy of Rosemary's Baby, which I think I you know had purchased before knowing much about Blansky mm-hmm. as a, personal life. You know, I knew the name and his his kind of clout, um, but now you know it's like I don't I want to give this guy money. No, you know, and this is kind of where I land with Chinatown. Is just, I well, and I think uh, that's an interesting thing to
2: think about. I felt it- weird letting the Hulu algorithm know that I wanted to watch Chinatown. I felt really like I thought about that about halfway through. I was like, oh man. Hulu thinks i I like th- this, I care about this, yeah it was it was an interesting uh, now now we're talking about I didn't give Roman Plansky my money, but I gave i gave too. hulu I gave somebody some money, I gave yeah. Hulu the impression that people want to watch this movie. Well, it was I, a weird thing to think about, and I think here's where the
0: discourse happens in a different kind of way. I don't think this movie should be discussed as a film noir. I don't think the film noir conversation is what this movie needs to be about. I think this movie needs to be about misogynist, abusive, Mm -hmm. um, gendered, and um, sort of the ways in which it creates its glass ceilings, and the, the mistreatment of women throughout Hollywood history. I think that has to be the conversation. I think
2: you could take this and The Shining and, let's say... Manhattan and pair them together and say these are films by problematic people uh one less so than the other two um but this is these are problematic films where actors were abused where there was abuses happening behind the scenes and off the sets and I, I think that's an interesting class right there yeah you, you take it out of a film noir studies and make it a class about studying problematic art right yeah I think that's the only context where it it's valuable to talk about this movie anymore, probably,
0: yeah, and i and I think in that case, that's when this film should be used, and that's how this film should be used. And I think in that sense, this film remains useful, yeah. Because it does, as Manhattan sort of finds its way in that sort of moment of new Hollywood, as um, you know, this movie finds its way in that moment of the retro noir, and that sort of Hollywood resurgence, that sort of classical uh, Hollywood nostalgia moment that's going on in the mid-1970s in Hollywood. Like, that's sort of why those movies became touchstones in the first place. But then we don't make that the conversation at all. We make it all about these are bad actors doing bad things. Um, and um, I think that's the only way around it, and, and and you only do it in that context, and otherwise you don't use it or mention it at all. You know, I, it seems to me the only thing that you can do, In a moment like that.
2: Yeah, yeah, kind of hard to argue with that. I think.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I I remember a very very interesting conversation I had in a graduate class where um, another problematic, I think it was Rosemary's Baby was the movie in question, mm. and uh, we were we were talking Polanski and um it might have been then it might have been woody allen i really don't recall um but anyway through the course of the conversation you know one of the other students was like listen i don't know why we have to keep looking at these people's stuff yeah. right and that you know, again, yes, indeed, we can talk about this movie and its making and what's being exploited, and you know, whatever the sort of you know course curriculum sort of cur- connection that this particular film has to what's going on historically in the you know the sixties, the seventies, or whatever thematics that are sort of interesting about the movie. But the only conversation that we need to have is this conversation, and she was kind of ignored, and. It was awful. It was really, truly terrible you know, as a moment. Um, And I think this is one of those moments where film scholarship really has to take up the slack. Because there's a way in which this movie is part of a canon, and there are other movies that are parts of these canons. And because they always have been talked about, and there's a glut of writing about them, and there's plenty of published materials. And it makes their teachability easy. That um, not just scholars But just sort of your run the mill You know working I mean you know I mean We've got the great scholars that are at work In film studies who are writing the new essays And doing that kind of stuff all the time But I'm talking about what, what you might call your Journeyman um, film film professors Right yeah. you know the, the guys like me Not the auteurs yeah I'm just teaching a class Right yeah um, you're, and just, that, you're just trying to keep The youth literate exactly um, And um, you know as I'm working Towards that sort of goal just as I'm trying To get my job in Hollywood which is my job in the University, right? Yeah. Which is just, I, I want to be that guy. I, I'm, I'm never going to be Alfred Hitchcock, but I can, you know, make some movies. Um, I, I'm, I'm never going to be, you know, uh, I'm never going to be James Naramore, but I might teach a movie classes. Yeah. Um, that what we have to do is we have to take upon ourselves the effort to do the additional work to do find the uh, extra research and scholarship about those sort of far flung films.
2: I spent a lot of time trying to find cuz you know Pauline Kael reviewed this movie. Sure. I could not find it. I wanted to find it so bad because I knew she would have something interesting to say about it. Yeah. And I I couldn't find it and uh yeah, I mean it's that, that's that's what it takes sometimes is being the person who's willing to say something can be good and also not worthwhile. Right. And uh it, it's important.
0: And, and then that way we find the other movies, the other examples, the other voices. And we, again, it, it forces us to do a lot more groundwork. I mean, I understand that if I was teaching a film course on film noir, Chinatown would be so easy to put on the syllabus. It would be so easy yeah. um, to do that. But I think that's lazy and irresponsible.
2: Yeah. Instead, you should uh, put something like. Uh... Assassination Nation, or right. uh, oh my God, Arthur, you had a great pick, and I already.
1: Devil in Blue Dress. There oh. we go.
2: Yeah, I mean, do do the harder work, do the thing that has not already been canonized. Right. Uh, yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right. It's easy to teach people the thing that the the culture has decided is good. It's it's harder to say nope. This is my taste as the person teaching you about film. And uh, I think this is a valuable conversation starter.
0: Yeah. I mean, you know, something from roughly the same period Godard's Made in USA would be, I mean, it's harder to find. It's harder to see. It's French. um, But it's a better conversation, you know, in many ways and uh, it doesn't have the same problems although Goddard's got his problems but they're not Polanski's problems
2: yeah and yeah I he would, was mean to Agnes Varda yeah, yeah. see last week's episode. episode
0: right but um i would rather do that with a student yeah. uh than, again w- is that more work there's less essays Yeah, you know, does that mean I have to write more for my lecture? Probably. Yeah. Does it mean I got to pull more connections? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Does it mean that I'm going to find myself in a conversation with with students where I don't actually have all the answers directly in front of me? Yeah. Yeah, but now that's better education.
2: You're prompting students to to be the people that give those answers, right? And that's that's good leg work. Yeah, so I don't mean, skip leg day. I- exactly. Yeah, Ooh, <laughs> leg day. I know. Do your homework.
0: And yeah, there's there's a special handicap parking for leg day, but that's a whole nother conversation.
2: Yeah, like secondary. Yeah, uh, parking. Yeah,
0: yeah, like like we got hand we got the leg regular sort of ADA accessible parking, and we have leg day parking. tired I mean, parking. Yeah, we got to have that. at the you're, gym. Just,
2: you're just having a real rough day. It's it's
0: really <laughs> important. Um, sorry, PSA for the world there.
2: Um, well, we've talked about a whole 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 lot. Uh, th- there's probably more that we could address. Uh, Arthur. How we we doing on time? Should we go ahead and take this train in the station? Yeah, whatever. Um, do, we choo, want, choo. do we want to talk about the Okies real quick? And class, when you
1: can. I know
2: you feel entitled. Uh, if there weren't <laughs> Arkies
0: and Okies, there'd be no Californians. That's it.
2: Yeah, um, yeah. The working class don't trust the rich people, even when the rich people are, are Mulray and don't want them to be killed by a dam, uh, but they don't trust the rich people because Mulray's got a koi pond and a fountain. Mm-hmm. I'm talking mm-hmm. about water scarcity. So, yeah, I mean. There's more interesting movies we could use to talk about class. I guess we can go ahead. I just wanted to make sure uh, we called that out, but uh, I'm satisfied. All right. Well, let's render a verdict. Shelf for Trash, Else or Instead. This is a toughie. Else or Instead is done. Oh, that's right. That's Dustin right. will f- learn the new format eventually, listener. My mouth wants to make those words. It's okay. We did it for literally like six years. So shelf for Trash, what do you shell say? Shelf for Trash and why? Dalton Go. Trash. Yeah. Uh... But look, I, I think we've really, this year, committed ourselves to being strict with our canons um, and trying to make shelving or trashing a film have some weight and we don't just shelf everything we kind of like that you know has value. And uh, while I think Chinatown has value, and I'm glad Keith and made us watch it because, honestly, the last time I watched this movie was like 19, and I was like, well, that was fine. I didn't really think that hard about it. Uh, and this time I couldn't stop thinking about every single thing that just upset the shit out of me. Um it it's it's a hard movie to watch, uh and not the least of which because uh this movie I'm not gonna say this movie, the camera loves Jack Nicholson. Yes because he is so sexy. Uh Beefcake Watch uh this mm. week. Uh man, what a baby Jack Nicholson. What a looker. Baby Jack. What a handsome, handsome. When he's smoking that man. cigarette in that rowboat at the park, are you kidding me? Oh my god. Whoo boy. But he's a scumbag. J.J. Geddes is an absolute shit heel, Uh, and yet the camera loves him, and that's okay. I, I like a movie that's complicated in that regard, but there's so much else about this movie that makes it horrifying. So that that alone kind of stops me. Like, I don't even want to watch Jack Nicholson in this movie because like, the camera loves him so much, but I don't like this character mm-hmm. at all, uh, and I don't really care for anything that happens in this movie, and... Uh, as Arthur mentioned, you can just go watch Who Framed Roger Rabbit if you want a, a noir about uh, land rights. So,
1: we don't need it. Probably a more interesting noir, too. I think mm-hmm. so.
2: It's much weirder. It's much more unique. Yeah. I, I How like... many noirs can you name that have cartoons? Yeah. That and Cool World. Nobody remembers Cool World. I remember Cool World. Well, uh, you would. Yeah, you were like 17 when that movie came out. I bet you remember I Cool World. saw it in the theater. Yeah, I bet yeah, you did. did. Were yeah. you
0: working there at the time. No, I was not working. Well, yeah, I guess I was. Yeah, had to have been if it was ninety seven. Thereabouts.
2: Yeah, somewhere. If, it w-
0: if I was actually seventeen, actually, I think it was like ninety five. Yeah, then I wasn't.
2: Yeah, it's it's uh, early career. It's like just post Thelma and Louise. So you yeah. probably would have been like thirteen. Actually, yeah, I think I saw it in the theater, but I don't think I was working there. So anyway, yeah, we we don't need it. You know, we don't. I I would. This is the only Polanski movie. Oh, I've seen The Pianist. Um, look, I haven't bothered to watch that many Roman Polanski movies because I don't. Care to? No. Um. I can go watch one flew of the Cuckoo's Nest if I want good young Nicholson. Um. Dustin, what should I watch if I want to watch like good early Dunaway, like mid seventies Dunaway? Which uh, I got Bonnie and Clyde. Bonnie oh, Clyde. damn. Yeah. Of course, the late sixties. But yeah, or Gatsby. Um. The Gatsby. No. Movie no. 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 Bonnie and Clyde. You already got me. Okay. There. Yeah. Yeah. You don't need it. There you watch go. Watch
1: something else. All right, Arthur. What do you say? Show for trash. I got trash it. Yeah. I. I mostly I just, I mean, it's a good script, but I mean, there's nothing particularly arresting about it for me. Uh, And I think there are a lot more interesting movies you can talk about. And so, you know, I I think it's had its time. Uh, I I think there's a lot from a technical standpoint. You could crib from it and learn from it. But at the end of the day, I think we can uh, move forward in new conversations. So, yeah. Very good, very good.
0: I'm also going to say Trash. I think it belongs in an industrial history. Sort of class where you're talking about the way in which Hollywood has built structures to protect those in power, and that's the only time you ever use it at
2: all. And then you you use the uh, the character. Uh- Oh my God! Uh, John Houston's character as an analog for studio powers. Yes. Yeah. Um, I I
0: think that's totally doable and usable there, but you don't own it. You don't watch it. You don't advocate it. And uh, steal you, it. Steal this movie. You, yeah, absolutely. You steal this movie. Yeah. You pirate the dog out of it, and you never let another dime go to Paramount or to um, Polanski ever again because it's bad um, for those reasons. Um, so yeah, um, trash for sure. I mean. Fire it in the sun? No. Steal it.
2: But, um. Uh, Thanos, snap it out of existence and allow its essence to live on in the, the in, the sn- in, in the snow, <laughs> Infinity Stone, right? Yeah. And then you can, like, you have to go through some trials to go talk to this movie.
0: Yeah, for sure, for sure. So that's my thought. Um, Chinatown. Um, not so good. Mm, okay. Um, we're going to do another show? Yeah, we're going to do another show. We
2: got one more? Uh, real quick. Uh, oh, social media. So we'll do the social medias real quick. Uh, hey. We're on Twitter, at good underscore trash. That's everything good trash media to go on over there. We've had a lot of fun over there this week. Uh, a lot of people uh, writing in about uh, movies directed by women that they like. Uh, we've had uh, unpopular film opinions was a thing on film Twitter that we had some fun with. Uh, yeah, at good underscore trash. Uh, if you want to see what we're up to social media wise, but you don't want to be uh, on the front lines of the the friggin' culture war, uh, go to the letterbox. The uh, the auxiliary of the culture war. Uh, we're all in letterboxed. Arthur and I are uh, pretty faithful about logging our watching, so you can see what we're up to. Dustin's semi regular.
0: Pretty regular these he, days. Yeah, he's about
2: as regular as a guy almost forty is. You know, he's got to take some fiber supplements, but uh, he he gets on there more often than not. Uh, <laughs> thanks, bud. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm at. I'm just Dalton underscore Stewart on a uh, letterbox. I think we're all just our first and last names over yeah, there. So we're, yeah, find we're our super names. easy to find, uh, but we don't talk about letterbox enough. And, uh, I like what they're up to over there. I, I think they're, they're really making the, uh, the film nerds of the world have a good discourse. Uh, I, I know that there are, there, there's, as with all websites, there's some grossness in the comments over there, but, uh, I think it's probably a, a little bit more friendly than the rest of the world. So check us out on letterboxd, uh, Uh, We just uh, recorded today some fun Patreon bonus content, if that's something you might want to be putting in your ears. If you want to help us uh, pay hosting fees and whatnot, you can go to patreon.com forward slash GTM. We don't have ads on the show. As you probably noticed, you've now listened to like an hour and 20 minutes of podcast, and uh, you didn't have to have somebody sell you a mattress or underwear or razor blades. Uh, You just got to listen to these three dipshits talk. So if you want to keep making that happen, uh, look... You giving us money is not going to make us have ads. We're not going to have ads no matter what. But if you like that we don't have ads, go to patreon.com forward slash GTM. We've got some bonus content for you over there.
0: And just to entice you further as a salve to the discussion of Polanski's Chinatown, we spent – you know, half an hour gushing over about fifteen films directed by women. Fourteen. So. Arthur and I had a repeat. Okay. So, 14. well, Dustin
1: had three honorable oh, mentions. Oh, that's true. He had all of his. Foot. So seventeen. He had
2: all of his fancy filmmakers from the twenties and forties who did indie short films that nobody's ever heard of because they've been lost to the to the ages. So now you're going to be mean to me. Now I'm going to be mean to you. because I was nice on Patreon, but I'm mean to you now, I but see it. how that works. Yeah. So uh, if you want to hear me, be nice to Dustin and uh, <laughs> yeah. so, uh, hear nice us uh, <laughs> some some love on. Uh, Nobody That's the major selling point. Our favorite, well, and also if you want to hear us talk about our favorite films directed by women, uh, you can find that at patreon.com forward slash gtm. Lastly, if you're filling out your uh, podcast bingo card, please rate, review, and subscribe to the show uh, on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, however you put it in your ears. Take a shot. Uh, GoodTrashMedia.com. That's where you find all the crap we make. Bye-bye.
1: So I was recently on this excavation in Egypt. Mm. Uh, In Egypt where? Yeah, I don't know if you guys knew this, but I... I, uh, uh, I'm midnight as a, an archaeologist, and we were burning the candle doing ends. some working uh, in the pyramids, and we uncovered uh, this this movie. Actually, we found a projector, uh, all digital. I was surprised that they were that advanced. I think it was aliens, mm-hmm. something to do with Stargates. Yep. I'm not entirely sure. Regardless, uh, we found this movie that just happened to land on Earth about 20 years ago from the Stargate, uh, and, and it's got this masterclass, but it's from not a, Stargate. It's not Stargate because we've already talked about that movie. Uh, young James Spader, he... Anyway, regardless, uh, we can talk about how good James Spader is another day. Uh, oh, it had another wonderkin though, in, in the lead. Though. A, a young a whippersnapper by the name of Brendan Fraser mm. uh, came out 20 years ago. Guys... A young ingenue by the name of Rachel, Rachel Weisz. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh,
2: I, anyway. Um, yeah, we're going to talk about The Mummy.
1: That's right. 20th anniversary uh, of
2: La I'm so excited Indiana Jones goes Universal Pictures We're going to talk about
1: our mummy issues yeah. um, We're going to really unwrap and unravel oh some my things Oh gosh uh, We're going to really uh,
2: Keep going You got one more? Uh,
1: come on dad yeah. We're going to get the sand out of all of the crevices <laughs> um, We're going to bite the heads off some bugs uh, we're really going to uh, just you guys. Is anybody going to dig deep to pull into the our, history? Yeah, we're going to pull our brains out our noses. Ooh, yeah. We're really going to just. Uh, is anybody going to try to squeeze in Tom Cruise's The Mummy,
2: starring I, Sophia Patella?
1: I might. You know what? I might. Uh, I have wanted to watch that movie so bad. I've been trying to
0: squeeze in more Tom. The, uh, Cruise the, always, the Kickstarter for the, uh, <laughs>
1: the short-lived uh, Dark Universe from Universal. Um, yeah, I might. I might have to do that. Uh, I don't know if he jumps off of a pyramid or the Sphinx or both. Uh, but I will, I will willingly try to find out myself. I
2: will be rereading the GQ profile they did of Brendan Fraser a couple of w- months, years uh, right before, uh, right after they did that FX miniseries about the um, the same thing that all the money in the world is based on, uh, and uh, right before he started this Doom Patrol series. It's a great interview about just what Brendan Fraser's had a hard twenty years. He's had a mm-hmm. rough twenty years, and. Uh, the fact that he is still like a good person is uh, really incredible I'm gonna text
0: a friend and get her Sphinx sphincter story and share it next week
1: wow lots to look forward to <laughs> I may have to watch the Mummy returns to see the uh, the birth of uh, Dwayne the rock Johnson oh, so good uh, on screen
2: man yeah I might try as to squeeze the Scorpion in. King. I might try to squeeze in the mummy uh, three with jet Lee I don't know
1: no uh, one's gonna no one'' be it. upset if you don't well I've got a box set, so it's easy. I uh, look very... Of course you do. This,
2: this film uh, was a big one for me uh, at the age of nine. I think I saw this in theater, so I am looking forward to talking about it with you guys next week. Very fun. So you keep watching, we'll keep talking, and we'll see you all next time.
1: I'm